You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. How many of you have a personal mission statement for your life? Anybody? One, two, three, four, five. Oh, okay, it's coming. It's popping up. Okay, six. All right. Everybody here should have a mission statement for your life. God wants us to be on a mission, and He wants us to know that this mission is something that's fulfilling of our lives. It's something that's going to help us to not only make a difference in the world, but see a difference made within us, that we would be different people. Now, mission statements are really popular today. So pretty much you go to any of the large chains, you go to any of the different places in the world, and you'll find that these large successful companies have a mission statement. Now, mission statement has three elements to it, and you see them up there on the screen. The first is it identifies the product or the service that it provides. Secondly, it decides who is going to take those products and services, who are going to be its benefactors. Now, in a business, we would call that who are going to be our customers. Okay, but these are the people that you're trying to reach with your product and your service. And then thirdly, you decide your geographical region. You decide where you want that to be. Some people want to be nearby, and some people want to be all around the world. So like McDonald's, their mission statement is to be all around the world. But in and out their mission statement is predominantly on the west side of the United States. And we all know that In-N-Out has better burgers, right? So God wants us to have a distinct mission for our lives. He wants us to be able to be on a mission. So today, I want to help you to be able to begin to develop your own mission statement for life based upon Paul's mission for his life. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. But if we think about the products that we have, then the question would be, if we would personally ask ourselves, what are the products of my life? Now, what are the products of my life? In other words, what is it about me that I have to share with the world? Secondly, I want to decide who is going to be touched by these products. Who are the people who are going to benefit from what I have to give to the world? And then thirdly, how far-reaching is my life? How far-reaching is my life going to be? Is it going to just be about me? Or am I going to reach out to other people and be able to help them so that my products will bless them? How far-reaching is it? How long is it going to last? When I die, will anything continue after I'm gone? Because I've been here. Because my product is continuing to produce fruit. So we want to look at the Apostle Paul. And if you've been reading the story, chapter 29 is the longest story in the story. Okay? It's the longest story in the story. So I broke it up in half. So if you did try to read it and you only got halfway through, good news. You you read the first part. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And then if you read the second part from where Paul's mission trip goes on into Corinth, we're going up to his mission trip to Corinth today, 
then you'll see the rest of Paul's mission next week as Pastor Peter brings the message to us. But this week, we want to look at Paul's mission, and his first mission trip was all around the Holy Land. He went north on the land, he went up through Turkey, and then he went across over to see that big arrow. Okay, this is his second mission trip. On his second mission trip, he went to the city called Thessalonica. Thessalonica. So Thessalonica is actually still a city today. It's in the northern part of Greece. You can see it circled up there. It was a city, when Paul went to it, it was a city of about 200,000 people. It's about twice the size of Thousand Oaks. And so it was a bustling city. It had all different types of people. It had people who had Jews who would go into their synagogues. It had the Greeks who worshipped their many gods. They had idol worship there. And so Paul was helping them to see something very different with his mission. He wanted them to see that God was real and alive and that they could have a dynamic relationship with God. So our mission as a Christian, our mission as a believer begins with a relationship with God. If you would open up your Bibles with me, please, turn to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians is one of two letters that Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. And theologians and scholars believe that it was one of the earliest letters Paul ever wrote. And possibly this was the first epistle that Paul ever wrote to any of the churches. And therefore, if we look at it and think about it as the first letter Paul wrote, we'll be able to get a really good look at what was really important to Paul. Because he was talking about it primarily at the very beginning to the first church. And his heart was really dynamically changed by God. And now he wants that same thing to happen to the people. And so in verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul's, the scripture says this. There were three of them that were writing. There were three missionaries that had gone through Thessalonica. And the people there knew them. They were Paul, Silas, and Timothy, it says. And then it says they're writing to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. So the products of our life are going to come from God through these two virtues of God himself. They're going to come to us and the product of our lives is going to come to us through God's grace and God's peace. It's going to be through God's grace and God's peace that you and I are going to receive what we need so that we can live out the mission of our life. Would you read with me Romans 5, 15, and 16? Let's say it out loud together. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? And so it is this gift of grace that God's given to us. And I know we hear this a lot. And we can hear it so much. It's like the word love. We hear grace all the time. And maybe even say, let's say grace before a meal. But I want us just to think really carefully about what Jesus did for us so that we would have grace. This verse tells us it's a gift. And it's a gift very different 
than our sins, our trespasses. See, our trespasses prove that we are guilty of death and show that we're guilty and worthy of punishment, that we don't deserve anything. The trespasses of our lives include anything that we know that we've done that's wrong. And the Bible even says if there are things that we know we ought to do and we don't do them, those too can be sin to us. When God shows us what to do and we don't do it, that can be sin. And it puts us in a terrible position where it seems like all we can do is sin. And without Jesus, that is true. But see, the gift is not like the trespass. The gift brings forgiveness. The gift brings grace. And how did we get this grace? We got this grace because this one man, one man brought this gift of grace to us by dying for us, by hanging on a cross, by taking all the sins of yours and mine and the whole world and bearing them for the whole world that we would be able to be free from our sins. And he bore even a separation from his father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this is the grace that Jesus Christ has given to us. And this is the grace that he wants to put into us, but it's not supposed to just stay with us. See, the last words overflow to the many. That God wants grace to overflow. That's the mission of our life. The mission of our life is the overflow of God's grace. Well, God didn't just give us grace. He also gave us peace. And this peace is so that we could have a relationship with God. It means rest. And it means quietness. Enjoy just a moment here. Take a deep breath. And enjoy just a moment here of some peace and of some rest. How often do you have peace and rest during a week? We live such crazy, crazy lives. We are so busy that we are just using our lungs just to be able to barely breathe and get through the day. But God wants us to fill up the fullness of our lives with his grace so that then we can exhale and experience a genuine peace And he wants this peace to come upon us all the time. Read with me John 16, 33. These are Jesus' words. Let's begin. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Anybody here have trouble? Probably all of us, right? We all have trouble. But we can all have peace. And where do we find that peace? Two words up there. In me. 
Jesus. So the grace of God came to us in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, who bore our sins, who was buried, but who rose again and overcame death, the grave, Satan, and hell. And he gave us life. He gave us grace. And he made peace with God for us that we don't have to be afraid of God that he would ever hurt us, as we will see later. There's no wrath for the Christian. But God has given to us his peace. He has given to us his grace, and he's given it to the church, as we saw there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, to the church at Thessalonica. Church is the word ecclesia, and it means called out ones. Now, when I was a kid um, and growing up, and there were like, you know, pockets of, of cliques of people who would try to like form little clubs or we might even call them benevolent gangs, okay, around school that they enjoyed being together. But if you did cross them in a, in a way that they didn't like, like for example, if I walked by and they didn't like me and I did something wrong, somebody in the group would say, Lo, I'm calling you out. And that would be really scary. Because basically what they were saying is, put up your dukes, we're going to fight. You upset me, you ticked me off, and now I'm calling you out. So you never want to be called out that way. But God calls us out in a different way. He calls us out for good. He calls us out to be in. He calls us out to be in himself and in Christ so that we can have a fullness of life in the church, the called out ones, not the called out one. See, we are a church. It means that we are the people of God. We are the church, not the building. And we are the church when we are together. And so God has given to us together Everybody. So if there's anybody here you don't like, you know, God still gave him his grace. So shouldn't we also give grace to them? I mean, God even gave grace to, to an idiot like me. I mean, I just think of all the things I do wrong all the time. And God still gives grace to me. God gives grace to all of his children. And in the church, that grace is to lead to peace. And then that grace and that peace is going to produce fruits. It's going to produce actions. It's going to produce the products of our lives that we have to give to others. And so we want to see what these products are. Let's look at verses 2 through 3, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'll read it and you can follow along in your Bibles. Verse 2, we always thank God for you, for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. See, we're called out to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we are called out as God's people and we are in Jesus Christ, there's, we see that there are three products that are going to happen. There's going to be work. There's going to be um, 
love and labor, and there's going to be endurance. There's going to be work, labor, and endurance. And the work is going to be a product of our faith. The work is going to be a product of our faith. See, our faith isn't just what we believe. Our faith is also what God will do with our lives. Our mission is to live a life of faith. But that's not just believing in my head. It's believing with my whole body. John 6, 27 through 29 says this. And these, again, are Jesus' words. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Good question. What must we do, Jesus, to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, there's only one work you have to do. And the work, singular, of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. To believe. God wants us to believe. That's the part of our faith that begins. But believing also has another product that's part of it. And then that also is found in 1 Thessalonians, but it's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. And there it says, and we also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. So you see, belief isn't just something that's in our head. Belief isn't just something that's in our heart. Belief isn't just something that we said because we said a prayer to Jesus and asked him into our life, and now we just go do whatever we want, and when we die, we go to heaven. That's not God's plan. And that ought not be our plan either. See, God's plan we see in these two verses together is that Jesus wants us to believe and that that is part of the work that begins a work of the word of God in our life. If we want to begin to understand God's mission for our life, we have to be in the word of God, as it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. The word of God which is at work in you. Awana, approved workmen are not ashamed. Approved workmen are not ashamed. Because of the word of God working itself in our lives. And so the work of faith begins with belief, and it goes then into the word of God. And as we read the Word of God, we see that God has a job for us to do. God has a job for us, as Paul had said, that we would labor prompted by our love. We would have labor prompted by our effort. This word labor means weariness, sweat, or even fatigue. It is love in action. It is love that pays the cost. We are willing to labor for the one we love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Paul says to the Corinthians, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. 
Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And so we see the progression of God's grace and God's peace working in us. As we believe, we read the Word of God, and then the Word of God works itself in us, and it comes out of us in labors that we do to serve the Lord. Each of us should find that place of laboring in our life. Each of us should find a place where we are giving to somebody else, where we are actively helping somebody else to go closer to Jesus Christ. That is our work of labor. That's Paul's work of labor. And God promises that nothing we do for him is ever in vain. It's never useless. No matter how much we do, and if we even don't see much fruit by the, the time that we think that we ought to have it, we need to persevere. We need to keep going. And so that we see, too, is the third product of our life. We have endurance that is inspired by hope. We have endurance that is inspired by the hope of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 12 and 13. The Bible says, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold, but he endures to the end will be saved. He who endures to the end will be saved. God knows that for those who believe, God knows that for those who work, God knows that for those who labor, God knows that for those who pay the cost of love, God knows that in all those cases, it will be hard because of the type of world that we live in. Because we live in a world where lawlessness abounds. We live in a world where the love of many grows cold, where those who claim to be Christians weren't. And they hurt the church, and they hurt you, and they hurt the world because of their hypocrisy, because they did not endure. And God doesn't want that for you and me. Our mission is a mission that never shall end. Our mission is a mission that shall always continue. God has given to us the products that people in this world love and need. I'm sorry, that people in this world need, which are faith, love, and hope. People need to know by faith that there's a God who loves them. People need to know by our love that they are cared about. And people need to know because they are just like you and me. They're going through hard times. And they need to be encouraged. They can endure because there is a hope. There is a great hope that God will reward us, and God will take what we've given to him, and he'll make a difference in the world for it and a difference in our life for it. And so as we go out into the world with our work and with our labor and with our endurance, then we begin to touch different lives. We begin to touch different people. If you turn with me back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 1, I'm sorry, verses 4 through 7. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, 
but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. These people were chosen. It says in verse 4, and you were chosen by God. God himself has called you out. He's chosen you. Jesus says that the reason that we are chosen, John chapter 15, verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. God wants our lives to bear a fruit that will last. He's given to us the power of his Holy Spirit himself within us. He's given to us his word to give us direction, guidance, and comfort. He is leading us so that we can continue to keep touching other people's lives. Who are the people that are being touched by all of these gifts that God has given to these Thessalonian believers? They are other people in their own city, and they are other people all around them. If we went back to the map, and I won't go there, but if we went back to the map, we see Thessalonica at the top of Greece. And above Greece, we have Macedonia. And so the love of Christ not only was in the city of Thessalonica, it went beyond the city. It would be like us saying, my love here in Thousand Oaks went all the way up and all the way out to San Francisco. It left here and it went north. But then also it says that it went to Achaia. And Achaia is far down to the southern part of Greece. So their love didn't just stay in Thessalonica. It went all the way down to Achaia. That's like us saying it went down to Central America. It went all the way down. It didn't just stay in Thousand Oaks. It went north to San Francisco. And it went south all the way to Panama. That God wants us to know that his love for us is something that flows out of us and continues to bless other people. It touches the lives of those that we know. It touches the lives of those that God sends us to. And so our product is to be given to the world. They are the benefactors of what God has given to us. And we are to touch them and care for them with God's love. But will it be easy? No. God says to the Thessalonians that he is using you in spite of severe suffering. In spite of severe suffering. The word suffering comes from a word meaning to press on grapes as they do in winemaking. And so this is a picture of how they would press grapes in the days of Jesus. They would put it in a great big hole in the ground, and then people would stand on it. And the juice would either go to the bottom and flow out into a vat or where it would be stored, or even on the sides, it would flow out like a reservoir. And then they would save it, and then they would allow it to ferment. And the grapes were crushed, and the grapes were pressed and this is a picture of what God does in a believer's life to get the juice out. That God wants us to know it's not easy. But God wants us to know that it is purposeful. God wants us to know that it is good. 
And God wants to encourage us that even when we're suffering by obeying the word of God, that he is producing a wine out of our lives, a new wine for the rest of the world, a wine for others to enjoy. Suffering increases the testimony of the gospel. As you know and are familiar with, that China is not a country where you can openly worship the Lord Jesus. It's a communist country. And until recently, over the last 20 years, there had been a fair amount of freedom for the churches to move about and to, to do their work. There were, of course, many laws to try to keep them in their place. But recently, the regime there has got, sort of brought up a greater persecution for them. A couple months ago, our Mandarin pastor, Pastor Yoping, went to China, and he came back after visiting a number of the churches there in China that are suffering. And he came back and he brought a report to us. And he shared that report at our executive board meeting earlier this month. Or I'm sorry, last month. And what he shared with us was that the churches in China are indeed suffering, but they're holding together. And the reason why they're holding together is because they don't need to have a building. And they can meet in homes. And they can meet with one another. But if they are caught or if the police are there, they will be interrogated. And some of them have been interrogated and sentenced and punished because they are believers. But the church will not fight back. The church has made a statement that they will not fight back. They don't want any political uproar. They don't protest. They accept the punishment that happens because they believe that by doing this, they will continue to share the testimony of the love of Jesus Christ even to their enemies. The churches are being monitored. The churches are being forced to put cameras inside so that the government can watch them. The churches are being forced to put up the Chinese flag inside their churches. They're being forced to do what the government wants, and the church won't give in. They'd rather stop meeting in that place than do what the government says, but they won't fight back. But they continue to share their love. They continue to share their hope. Pastor Ping shared this with us. He said, these Chinese house churches believe that the growth of the churches since 1949 is the work of the Holy Spirit who moves them to willingly suffer for the Lord and incessantly preach the gospel. Are you willing to suffer for the gospel? Are you willing to suffer for Jesus? To go out of your way to serve him? God wants us to know that this is his purpose for our life. This is our mission. It wasn't just Paul's mission. It's not just the pastor's mission. It's not just the elder's missions. It's not just the deacon's missions. It's our mission. And we can serve. We can serve in many different ways in the life of this church. But we can also serve in the world by being a witness to other people and sharing the gospel. The Chinese church also says this, that the purpose of the church is to preach the gospel, to build disciples, to usher in the early return of Christ, rather than to build a better state on earth. Are we spending more time building a really good state on earth 
Are we spending our time building something that's going to last eternal? And he says that they are not going to fight for the benefit of any race or nationality or for a political party or even for religion. But they will suffer for the gospel and they will preach it and they will make disciples and they will pray for the return of Jesus. And that God wants us as a people to have that same type of purpose. And this is the purpose that the Thessalonians had. And this is the purpose that God would have you and I to have as well. To search our hearts. And to say, is my life making a difference? Because what we see here is that not only were the, Achaia, uh, were the people in Macedonia and Achaia hearing about it. But there was people even outside of those, that country. Outside of Greece. In verse 8 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul continues, and he says, The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turn to God from idols. To serve the living God, the true God, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. God wants us to have a life that is far-reaching. For these Thessalonians, it was in the city of Thessalonica. It was in the country portion of Macedonia and of Achaia, but also in the rest of the known world. Their faith was ringing out. Ringing out means like a trumpet call. It's to sound out loudly. That's the type of witness that they had. A trumpet call that would go out through the world. And what Paul is saying is that these believers had a longing for Jesus. They had a longing for God. Do we long for Jesus? Do I long for Jesus? God wants me to make a difference. God wants you to make a difference. Did you know that 70 to 80% of all believers are led to the Lord by a personal friend or family member? 70 to 80% of all believers are led to the Lord by a friend or a family member. It is through a personal witness. It is by words and it is by actions. That God would have us to use our words and our actions as we see here as that's what happened with those in Thessalonica. That they were talking about their religion. They were talking about their faith in God. They were talking about their relationship with the living God. And they were doing it through a testimony of turning away from idols and turning to God continually. We can turn to the Lord continually. They showed this by turning away from their former life and embracing a new life. They were seeking one who was eternal. They were seeking one who lived forever. They were seeking that the meaning of their life would go beyond a, just a point and a time to eternity. When we look at the line of eternity, if we could have one here, 
We would see that that line goes on forever and ever and ever. And, and our life right now is just like one little dot on that line. But our lives are going to go on forever. And what God wants is what Paul had. And what Paul had is what the Thessalonians had because they followed his example. They imitated him. And they lived for something beyond themselves. Are we living for something beyond ourselves? Are we living for something that will go beyond this world? Are we living and showing the world how to have a real hope that doesn't just go until you die, but goes on after you die? It goes on because we have a hope of heaven. Verse 10 again says that this is what we are to do, and this is what the Thessalonians were doing. They were waiting for the Son of God to come from heaven. He who was raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. The coming of the Lord is a promise and a certainty. And that someday everybody will stand before God. And those who don't know Jesus will experience the wrath of God. But God doesn't want that. God has already promised that to all the believers, there's no wrath that's going to happen to them. That God will save them and God will keep them in his care. They will have salvation forever. But it is us that God wants to use to share his love to others that they don't experience the wrath, the penalty for their sin. Now, God's wrath is not like your wrath. Like when I'm wrathful, I'm out of control. When I'm wrathful, I'm sin. God's wrath is not like that. God's wrath is without any imperfection. It's perfect. It's just like when you at sometimes get mad at something that's truly, truly evil and wrong. That's a good type of wrath. And God's wrath is perfect in that way. And what God's wrath is saying to us is that it's coming, but it doesn't have to lead to destruction. It can lead to life. And it can lead to the hope of heaven. It can lead to the hope of giving that to other people, what we ourselves enjoy. And God wants us in this life to be preparing for the eternal life. We prepare for so many things that happen before we die, right? Finals are coming up, so you're preparing for the tests. Papers are due, so you're working on the papers. You're preparing yourself for these. Some of us are working with clients, and we have to give presentations. We work hard so that we give, and we prepare the best presentation. We prepare for our driving tests. We prepare for all the things in our life. Like if we want to learn how to golf better, we go and prepare by practicing. If you play an instrument, you prepare by practicing. If you want to do well in something, you practice and you practice and you practice. Because we want to prepare for things that we think are really important in this world and they're important to us right now. But if heaven is important to us, if eternity is important to us, that God is telling us here, I want you to prepare for standing before me. I want you to prepare for meeting me. The poet, um, Browning said this in a poem. He said, a man's reach should be shorter. I'm sorry, a man's grasp should be shorter than his reach. His reach should go beyond his grasp. His reach should go beyond his grasp. 
In other words, we should reach beyond what we already have. We should reach beyond that which is before us. We should reach beyond what's in this world for that which is eternal. We should reach so that we would be able to go out into this world and be a people that God would say, you have fulfilled your mission. Well done, good and faithful servant. And so I want to encourage you again that you think about what is your mission in life? What is the product going to be of your life? And who is going to be touched by that product? And how far-reaching is it going to be? If you're satisfied with what you have right now, so be it. But if God puts something in your heart greater, so go for it. That God would have us to reach beyond what we already have, to believe that he can do more than what we've ever seen, and that our life can have a mission of purpose and value that goes on into eternity. Let's pray.